Two days before Christmas in 2015, Connie DeBate was murdered in cold blood in the basement of her home in Ellington, Connecticut, by a camouflage-clad intruder, or so her husband claimed. I'm Marina. With me, I have my two best friends, Colby and Laura, and this is Grim. So guys, um, it's another Marina episode. It's me again. Uh, And you may have noticed that's two in a row, which is, I mean, unusual, not that we have a very long track record. Um, But one third of Grimm has COVID. And um, for HIPAA reasons, I'm not going to say which one of us it is, but uh, me and Laura are together and Colby is calling in on our recording. So I'll just... uh, Might might be a clue. (laughs) Yeah, just like a small hint. Yeah, you know. But it's fine. So yeah. We've yeah, adapted and overcome. And uh, yeah, Colby's calling in. Say hi, Colby. Hey, guys. One of us only has two of five senses functioning. So, you know, it's a it's a good time. <laughs> you have the whole episode to figure out which. <laughs> I mean, two out of five isn't bad, you know. It's okay. No. It's better than none. No. It's, so. it's not a passing grade, but I'm alive, I guess. So yeah. <laughs> better than earlier in the week where you were yes. not alive. Yeah. No. <laughs> so we definitely, uh, we pivoted, we adjusted. We wanted to make sure that we uh, continued to put out content for you guys. We didn't want to miss a week. So um, it's me again. So I hope you're excited to hear my voice two weeks in a row. I always am. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> so today... Colby can't hear you. <laughs> That's your hint on which, which, which sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> she, yeah, I'm just, I'm miming to her. We're on FaceTime. I'm just miming to her. Um, so today we're talking about the murder of Connie debate, which has been in the news. Um, again, I think it's national, but it's definitely in Connecticut news cause it's a Connecticut case. But, um, this case has been referred to extensively by the media as the Fitbit murder. And I'm going to explain a little bit more, uh, why. So I'm just going to jump right into it. So the victim is Connie Margotta DeBate. She was born in Connecticut in 1976. Uh, She was one of four children and grew up in Vernon and Ellington, so local her whole life. She graduated from Ellington High School in 1995 and went to UConn. She earned her degree in 1999. And she was actually the past vice president and a member for many years of the Ellington Volunteer Ambulance Corps and had a career as a pharmaceutical Hmm. sales rep. So, I mean, pretty impressive. So Connie married Richard DeBate in 2003. Richard was the same age as Connie, and their birthdays were actually only two days apart. Uh, Connie and Richard had two children together who were nine and six at the time of Connie's death, and they all lived in a gorgeous home in Ellington, Connecticut. I'll post a photo of the house on our Instagram, but I mean, it was gorgeous. Mm, There's a lot of land out there, too. It's pretty out there. Yeah. So Connie was described as a devoted mother with uh, an effervescent personality and a local pastor said people were naturally drawn to her and her family described her as the sunshine of so many lives. So the last time I think Colby described someone like that, it did not end well. So (laughs) no. Yeah. Local (laughs) pastor sunshine. Yeah, no, Mm -mm. it didn't. So spoiler alert, this one doesn't end well either. So on December 23rd, 2015, at 10 16 a.m 
The police received a call from Livewatch Security reporting a panic alarm that was triggered at the home of the DeBate family in Ellington, Connecticut. At 10.18 a.m., Richard DeBate misdials the number for 911, which... Can I just say, I have nightmares constantly of like being chased and I'm trying to dial 911 and can't, my phone won't dial or connect. And that's just like my whole nightmare. And then I wake up and I'm like, that's terrifying. I have ones where like, I can't roll up my, well, I guess you don't roll up your windows, but you can't put your windows up in your car fast enough. And someone's like trying to come to get you. Or your garage door. (laughs) Can't get your garage door down. (laughs) Guys, I thought you could just hold the number nine for long enough and that would call it. Is that not a thing? I don't know. I'm testing it right now. Oh, don't, 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 don't test that. No, no, no. No, no, it will tell you. It will tell you. And it's not a thing anymore because I tried it on my phone. (laughs) Okay. I was like, because one time I tried to put Cocoa Melon on my child's phone and accidentally dialed 911 on Easter. Uh, I think it was two years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't hang up in time. I'm like, I'm fine. And then the cops showed up at my in-laws and they were like, oh no, they're fine. They're like, did you guys dial 911? I'm like, I did, but it was a complete accident. But they have to check. They, have to, they do have to check. So my question now about him misdialing is like he misdialed as in he was trying to call 911 and couldn't dial it correctly or he was dialing something else and accidentally dialed 911. Unclear. I'm not oh, sure if it was like okay. a panic nervous thing or if he did it on purpose. I'm, I'm not sure. But okay. so I'm just saying 1018 is when okay. an attempt to dial 911 was first happened. Okay. Um, at 10:19, he successfully calls 911, okay. and he was moaning and requesting for help. Oh no! So the call went through to dispatch. Uh, police were dispatched at 10:22, and they arrived to the home around 10:30. The responding officer found Richard Debate lying face down in his kitchen. Ooh. His right wrist was zip tied to a metal folding chair. I think, like behind his back, he said, "Like a chicken wing," <laughs> when he was describing it. Interesting. His, <laughs> his left hand uh, was free from the chair and it was raised above his head near a cell phone. He also had a zip tie on each ankle and a zip tie around his neck that was tight but not embedded in his skin. Hmm. And so he had a folding chair. It was resting on his legs and butt. So it was like on top of him hmm. and he had one wrist that was zip tied to it. And I think one of the ankles was zip tied to it as well. And uh, Richard moaned to the initial officer, they're still in the house. So that responding officer um, went back out the front door, called for additional units and said that there may be a home invasion. Because you assume police respond to some of these home alarms all the time where like people don't know they went off or like, you know, somebody triggered it and forgot the code or something like that. So they called in additional units. As police were arriving, Richard did not move from his position on the kitchen floor. He sort of stayed in this face down position, arm up above his head. One of the responding officers actually thought that he was dead when he came in because he was quiet and motionless. And there was actually a smear of blood on the floor near him. Yeah. Okay. Um, But then they realized he was alive once he started talking to the officers. But he just sort of like held held this pose. Good indication. Yeah. If he's talking. He's alive. He's alive. Diagnostically, they determined he was alive (laughs) by his discussion with officers. Great work. So Richard told officers that an intruder had been in the home and that he witnessed the intruder shoot Connie in the basement. So the police went downstairs. They found Connie's body. It was cold and she had no pulse. And she was only 39 at the time of her death. So the officers got there around 1030 and found Richard in the kitchen. And at 1048, an officer came in to photograph the scene and Richard was still in that same position. 
So the officers actually, they thought he was incapacitated because yeah. he just hadn't moved at all from that pose. I'm going to call it a pose. Yeah. So after the police secured the scene, EMS came in to render aid to Richard, uh, and that's when he was cut free from the chair. And the officers asked him to explain what happened. So he walked the police through the events of that morning. He said he brought his sons to the bus stop at the end of their long driveway, went back inside to change his shirt, and then left for work around 8.20 to 8.30 a.m. Now, I just want to point out, like, all these times, like, the timeline is crucial. So all these times are relevant. I'll ask you many times about them because I will forget. That's fine. (laughs) So he says he went to work, left for work around 8.20 to 8.30. He said he was about two to five minutes into his drive and realized that he forgot his laptop. So he pulls over. He's on his phone. He said he also got an alert on his phone that an alarm was going off at his house. So he emailed his boss that he needed to go home because the alarm was going off and he thought that police officers might arrive. And he said later that he didn't tell her that he also forgot his laptop. He said he was too embarrassed since he worked as a computer network programmer. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Kind of essential goods there. Right. So he didn't want to say that he forgot it. Forgot it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't want to say that he forgot his laptop. He probably also didn't want to say he forgot it. Nobody wants to say that. (laughs) Like, really? So he said he went home to get his laptop. So he turned around. He said he got home between 8.45 and 9 o'clock. He was standing in the kitchen and he heard a noise upstairs. He thought initially it was a cat because we all know that cats sound yeah. like people in your house thought, all the time. I thought your cat was your child. Yes, actually. all the time. <laughs> yes, very human-like. So he said when he went upstairs, he was met by a six-foot, two-inch, masked, camouflage-clad intruder rooting around his bedroom closet. Said he was rummaging through their jewelry and... I guess Richard confronted him and he said the man had a voice like Vin Diesel and demanded his cash, credit cards and pin numbers. And he said that the man threatened that if he didn't comply, that he would just quietly wait for his wife and children to come home. Yikes. Yeah. So Richard said he handed them over and then Richard said he heard the garage door and the kitchen door open and he thought that Connie must be home from her fitness class at the Y He said it must have been canceled because she was home early. He said he yelled for her to run and that someone was in the house. He said that this intruder then used pressure points on his wrist and manhandled him to the ground. And the guy got by him and ran downstairs and was chasing Connie into the basement. Uh, And he thought that Connie was running into the basement to get a gun that they stored there. So debate said he ran downstairs as well. He either fell or was pushed or tripped, but stumbled down the stairs in in some form. He said when he got downstairs, he heard a noise louder than he has ever heard before, which was the gunshot. Uh, Connie was shot in the stomach and the back of her head with a 357 Magnum that belonged to Richard DeBate. Um, And based upon Richard's timeline, this happened at around 9.05 a.m., So he said that the intruder then led him by pressure points onto a folding chair that was in the basement. He said the intruder was wearing yellow gloves at the time that he had taken from his uh, tool bag that was also in the basement. He said that he was subdued by being zip tied to this metal folding chair. And he said that the intruder stabbed him in the legs with uh, a box cutter or a utility knife that also belonged to Richard. He said the intruder was also putting some papers in a box 
near him that the intruder lit on fire with a propane blowtorch that belonged to Richard. Uh, he said that the intruder then used the torch to burn his leg, which is uh, one of the zip ties were burned off his ankle. Uh, Richard at this time had one free hand and one free ankle, but he said he was sitting there sort of subdued just from the shock alone. Uh, and then debates that after a struggle, he was able to grab the blowtorch and scorch the man's face. And he said that the intruder then fled on foot from the basement bulkhead doors. So then Richard said he was able to drag himself up the stairs from the basement into the kitchen with his chair attached to him. Once in the kitchen, he was able to press the panic alarm on his keys and was able to get his phone off the kitchen counter and call 911. So should I dig into all the issues I have with that version now or should I wait? <laughs> That's where I'm at, dude. I have so many feelings. If you yeah. want to just flag a few and then I'll and then I'll oh, get man. into it. Uh, where do I begin? Well, the shooting. I mean, they have a gun, so I would expect, he says, the loudest noise he's ever heard. I would expect him to know what a gun sounds like mm-hmm. if they have one. So that's one. Um, all of I'm them sorry. Welcome there. to Richard's yeah. basement of horrors, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just Blow conveniently torch. has everything you yeah. would need to commit this crime laying around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the intruders using all of the tools and weapons right. that they have at the house versus presumably any of the things that they would have brought on their How own. How convenient. Yeah. Also, yeah, also the timing of that. So this guy was intruding to rob them and now it's turned into like this torture session. Right. It. I don't. Yeah, the burning on the leg makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, um, yeah there's there's and also like who attaches someone to a folding chair as a way of and keeping them somewhere? It's a great well, question. He was incapacitated on the floor in the kitchen when the cops got there but he climbed up the stairs with the folding chair i feel like like you know when a villain gets caught in like a mousetrap i know it's a folding (laughs) chair but i'm literally picturing (laughs) a mousetrap on this man's body. i just i'm really picturing him like in a frozen disco fever pose for like over 20 (laughs) minutes to be like you guys like you guys see how i am right like you see i'm i'm just stuck under this folding chair guys yeah Imagine the noise of that going up the stairs. Mm, which the officers weighed and the uh, the chair weighed nine pounds. Okay. Well, mm. I feel so, like you could drag that. Is, well. is he a slight is he a slight man? How is Richard a big man or what's up? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I believe I, I think he's shorter. Okay. Um I believe he's like relatively fit though. I know mm. he did CrossFit okay. and stuff, mm. so um but capable I think, of moving a yeah, folding I think chair. He is shorter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he is capable of moving a folding chair. Yes, that of okay. that I am okay. confident yeah. in saying. So those are just some of the things that come to mind when I listen to all that. Okay. I'm sure we'll learn more. But So, I mean, the cops were a little suspicious, mm-hmm. too. I mean, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt. They're listening to his story. So based on the information that he provides about this intruder, um, the police begin a search for this this gunman, this, this murderer. With a burned face. Yes, with a burnt... Yeah, he lit the mask on fire. Mm-hmm. So burned... And they actually did check um, the local hospitals mm, to see if there were any burn victims or anything like that and nothing came up shocking so police brought in a canine unit to see if they could track the intruder scent because you know he so he said that mm-hmm. he left from the basement doors so they bring in this canine german shepherd and he starts at the uh bulkhead doors in the basement and he tracks around the house into the front yard and he stops to alert that there's evidence and in the front yard is richard debate's wallet oh. just sitting in the front yard <laughs> so the officer was like, okay, back to work because he found something, but that's not what they were looking for. So 
The dog tracked around the other side of the house and into the door where Richard DeBate was on the stretcher. And the dog alerted end of trail behavior and stood up. So the officer was like, okay, let's try again. So they bring him back to the basement doors. The dog comes back around to the front of the house. Richard DeBate is being loaded on a stretcher into the ambulance. And the dog actually tries to get into the ambulance that Richard is being loaded into. Richard, like, he's like, dogs just love me. What can I say? He's He's like, like, my pockets are are full of kibble. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. So then they were like, okay. So then they did, um, they called it a free search of the property. So they just took the dog around the property. They have like a method for searching like every Mm -hmm. inch of the property, looking for any tracks. And they found no exit trails leaving the property. Mm. Okay. Nothing was stolen from the home except for Richard DeBate's wallet, which was found in the yard. Yep. Uh, So police canvassed the neighborhood for additional information to see if anyone had seen anything out of the ordinary. A nearby house cleaner said that she may have seen a large green figure rush by the window while she was dusting. Green? Large green. Which Richard DeBate said that the guy, it was a six foot two man in camouflage. Okay. So that lended credibility to his tale. But dozens of other neighbors said that on the morning of the murder, they were out uh, out and about in the neighborhood, heading to work, bringing bringing children to school or to the bus stop, and didn't see anyone unfamiliar or anyone wearing all camouflage in the area. Basically, it was business business as usual. Mm -hmm. So the police also looked for evidence of a forced entry, because how did this guy get in the house? So other than the open front door, there were no other possible signs of forced entry except a basement window was lying on the floor inside unbroken. Um, The two locks on the window uh, weren't damaged and had been removed from the inside by unscrewing them. (laughs) And there was also a pry mark on the inside, but none on the outside. And there were also undisturbed spider webs on the top and sides of the window openings, showing that no one had entered the window. And while state police were there, they tried to replicate using the under other window to see if they could sort of break into it. So they pushed on it and the glass shattered. And then when they pushed on it further, the frame buckled uh, and the window locks broke away from the frame. So they were like, this was not this was not the point. And at the time, Connie was not home, according to Richard. Right. So there's nobody let them in. You know how sometimes it's like a door-to-door salesman or something they let him in willingly so it wouldn't have been something like that because no one was home so they would have had to break in yeah she had left for a fitness class so meanwhile uh richard is brought to hartford hospital and while at the hospital he willingly speaks to police he lets them take a dna sample he lets them test for gun residue on him and take down a statement so richard spoke to the police for six hours They noted that he wasn't very emotional and that he didn't cry. And he said, I've already cried so much. Ask the nurses. (laughs) What? (laughs) I have have witnesses. Ask the nurses. I cried so much. Why is he talking at all with his wife murdered? Wouldn't you not say anything without a lawyer? Even if you were completely innocent, wouldn't you just keep your mouth shut? So we know the lesson of when cops are asking you questions. You Uh shut up. Uh Uh-huh. But he's taking a book out of uh, Richard Kraft's book. Yeah. He, he's innocent. He didn't do anything. So why can't he talk to the police? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, and not only did he talk, he talked to them for six hours. I mean, like he laid out so his long. life. Yes. Yeah. And this is how many times, like he's already, it's the same day and he's already given them two stories about what happened and how it happened. 
and I, the police actually said to him, like, we're kind of not buying this. Like your timeline doesn't add up. Like right away, they're saying that because he's saying that he left the house at 820 to 830, realized five minutes he needed to turn around, come back. That'd get him home at, I don't know, say 840. Mm-hmm. But she dies at like 905 or like th- it, it. Well, and that was interesting, too, that they said her body was cold. Because right. if this all happened, it was like, what, 10, 15 or 10, 20 or something that right. that the cops came. So maybe, did you say what time they came to the house? Either way, it's not hours and hours later. Right. But what's interesting is she died even later than he's saying. And they're still saying she's cold. So I found that fascinating. Oh. I don't know if it's because she's in a basement. Interesting. I, I don't know surprisingly but i don't know how long it takes a body to get cold I, i'm i'm about to make up a grim statistic but i think <laughs> that i think that your body loses like a degree every hour or something like that it's definitely okay. a measurable temperature because that's how they sort of pinpoint yeah. oh, time true. of death of course there's a bunch of other variables also but. cold is in a subjective like maybe they just meant cold as in like she's dead versus like i'm right. picturing like well, america's I- test kitchen style <laughs> but not yeah, that cold. Like cold and blue. Not no. that cold. No. Right. Yeah. And I think, okay. I think even if somebody is like one degree cooler, right. like they'd probably right. feel cool to the touch. Yeah. You know what okay. I'm saying? All right. So I'm sorry to take us down that rabbit hole. I'm fascinated. <laughs> That's fine. So, uh, Richard's injuries were minor. So he had two lacerations to his right thigh. Uh, one required one stitch. The other required two stitches. He had an oblong burn on his left calf measuring one and three quarter inches. He had three lacerations on his left thigh, one with three stitches and two with one stitch. And then he had another laceration on his left chest area near his armpit with two stitches. And then he had a laceration at the tip of his left middle finger, which he said he had no idea how it occurred. That will be relevant later. Mm -hmm. So they also noted there was no bruising on any of the areas that Richard said the intruder used pressure points to subdue and manhandle Mm. him. So I would imagine, yeah, that uses, that requires like a decent amount Mm -hmm. of pressure and force and pinching or whatever the case may be. Not that I'm trained in pressure, (laughs) taking someone out by pressure points, but you think that maybe, yeah, you think maybe there's like a mark or something. Yeah. Um, so Richard was really released from the hospital the same day because he was fine basically. So, The following day on Christmas Eve, Richard relayed the horrific events to Connie's family. He felt, you know, Mm -hmm. he wanted to explain what happened. So the next day, is that what you said? The next day, yes. Christmas Eve. Oh my God, it's around the holidays. That's terrible. But you're not going to tell them that day? No, mm-hmm. I think they knew that she was dead, oh, but okay. he right. like he was in the hospital oh, and okay. so he, like, he was going the to their thing. house okay. to like tell them the full story. Connie's sister said that when Richard arrived with his father, he staggered over to her and said, there was someone in the house. I didn't do this. They said, I need a lawyer. <laughs> right out the gate. Says innocent people. Yes. yes. Okay. So they said that Richard was staggering up to the house and said, I can't do this several times. Like he was basically having trouble walking and they said that it looked like he was going to be sick. Like at one point he lunged towards the bushes like he was going to be sick. Okay, I I guess. All right. I'll play devil's advocate here. He's acting real suspicious, Mm -hmm. but he could just mean I can't do it. Like my wife was just murdered. I was in the house with her. Like I'm sick to my stomach. It's the holidays. We're supposed to be celebrating and happy. Like this is the last thing you want to be doing. So, all right, I'll I'll bite for a second. I think that's what he wanted. Yes, I think that was the 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 vibe he was going for. So in telling the story again, his first words were, I didn't do this. Now, what is it? Shakespeare, Shakespeare, me thinks thou doth protest too much. <laughs> so he says, I didn't do this. 
Uh, and Connie's family said that he was very stoic and matter of fact in, in retelling this story about the intruder. He showed little emotion. And when he was finished, he called his father to ask him for his passport, which he said he needed to get a new phone and money since the police had his phone and wallet. So priorities. So Connie's family said that Richard's mood lightened up a little bit after he finished telling the story. And it was then that he said, I wish I could have saved her. I think she was trying to save me. And Richard said he just hoped his boys were going to be okay, and then began discussing a trip they had planned at Great Wolf Lodge, which Connie's family thought was a little bit strange to be talking about a hotel stay right after your wife was murdered. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And the poor kids, too. Yeah. So they were six and nine, which is good. But they were at school, but six and nine at the time. Um, it was also, they also made a point, I think it was in the arrest warrant that they said that Richard called to cash in on her life insurance policy, like four or five days after. But I don't know how suspicious that is because like part of life insurance is to pay for funeral expenses Mm, and costs. So that's true. I feel like maybe someone who didn't murder their wife might also call for a life insurance policy. Well, and to Colby's point, just playing devil's advocate on all of this, like if we didn't hear the, if we weren't suspicious already and you just heard this, you could, you could play, like I said, devil's advocate on any of this and understand why everyone reacts to things differently. Everyone handles grief differently and shock and all that. So I think it's just because we're a little colored with, um, the other facts on this case right like his way of mourning might being like getting everything in order and making sure like all the paperwork is taken care of yep connie's family said that he walked out of the house completely completely normal after that you know not like staggering and limping Mm. with the (laughs) tiny lacerations to his thighs yeah Uh, and that his demeanor was just completely different from how he entered so police were immediately suspicious of richard uh, and the tale that he has spun about this deadly home invasion quickly unraveled during the police investigation. So first, police examined the evidence in the home. So they got a search warrant for the home the same day that the crime occurred. They looked at the blood spatter and they noticed that it didn't match Richard's story. So police found drops of blood concentrated in the basement area where Richard said he had been tied to the folding chair. But there was no spot where a chair could have been based upon the grouping of droplets of blood. And there was no pooling of blood to show that he was stationary. Basically, they said that the droplets were scattered, indicating motion. Mm -hmm. Like, there was no pooling. And there was no, like, if it splattered, it would have hit the chair and not the ground is what they were saying. Right, yeah, there was no spot where a chair could have been that it would have been protected and no pooling of blood in that area. Uh, police also noticed blood and fingerprint ridges on the utility knife that Richard was said was used to stab him. Um, but Richard had said that the intruder was wearing gloves. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. There were oh, for two. <laughs> <laughs> there were also blood droplets that were up the stairs, which they said would not have made sense if Richard was dragging himself. Mm. Um, it would have been like streaks, right? Not droplets. Right. Like smears. Yes. Yep. And then the police also looked at the blood on the pants that were removed from Richard by EMS. And there was no evidence that the blood ran to the back of his thighs. It was basically just concentrated on the front of his pants, which it would have if he was sitting in the chair when he was stabbed. Oh, So yeah. if he was sitting in the chair and right. he was stabbed, the blood would sort of run sure. off the side of his legs um, to the back of his thighs. So I think all these blood droplets, like they pointed to the fact that he had this laceration on his finger I think the 
consideration was that he cut his finger and was sort of just dropping the blood all over the house to sort of set yeah. the scene. So the police dug into the tech data here and, and this was this was where it was. So they pulled information from Connie's cell phone, her Fitbit, the infamous Fitbit, uh, Richard's phone, Richard's laptop and the debate's alarm system. So Richard said he left the house for work around 820 because it's a 40 minute drive to work and he has to be at work by nine. Richard also told the police that his home alarm had been triggered around 9 a.m. and that Connie was killed around 9.05 a.m. Like that was his timeline. So the evidence showed that Richard never left the house and that the timeline just does not and cannot work. So Richard was asked if he set the alarm before he left the house. He said that he did several times, but then he was trying to set it from his phone after he left. Now, I read that this house alarm had only been set twice. And once was when they went on a trip to like New Hampshire. And once was when they went on a trip to Vermont. So like they, so they did not set it daily. Yes, they do yeah. not set okay. it when they go to work, when they leave yep. the house. Like they just don't do that. Um, so. 837. Richard was Googling long lasting tattoo ideas <laughs> while driving question mark. <laughs> yeah. No, the IP address was in his house. They oh, tagged so, him in his yeah, house with right. the IP address. Yeah. Um, he was checking his email, checking Facebook. Connie left the house around 846. Um, they figured this out because Connie's Fitbit began to demonstrate a period of inactivity and was syncing with a Verizon IP address rather than the, the home IP address. Um, so that was consistent with her being in the car on the way to the YMCA. Mm -hmm. So she was going there for a 9 a.m. class uh, that ended up being canceled due to the holiday schedule. So, oh, so that really why was canceled. OK, it right. really was canceled. Yeah. So she did come home early. So the police found that the system was armed with Richard's key fob in stay mode at 847 a.m. Now, this key fob only works within 500 feet of the home. Mm hmm. I think you can travel more than 500 feet in five minutes in your vehicle. Uh, yep. Just guessing. Uh, at 8.48 a.m., Richard disarms the system through an online login. At 8.49, Richard is logged into his email from the IP address for his house. At 8.50, he fully arms the system. And now the last door to have opened was the internal basement door, not a door that leads outside. So they're saying he's oh, home, buddy. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and stay like we have the same thing on our alarm. Mm -hmm. Stay is so that you can stay in the house and not right. set the alarm off. So you wouldn't do that if, if no one was home and you were leaving. Right. And so he fully arms the system. He's in the basement. The, the basement door is the mm -hmm. last door that opens and there's no sensors down there. Mm. So he's in the area of the house where there's no sensors. And um, where he has told us he stores his gun. That's the thought going through my uh -huh. head, too. Yeah, it's down there mm -hmm. with all the tools and the blowtorches. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. And the yep. chair, probably. Yeah. Yep. The chair. yeah. 851, he logs into Outlook from the Ellington IP address. Uh, at 859, the alarm is disarmed with his key fob again. And at 9 a.m., the internal basement door opens and closes again. Mm. I just want to say, like, I think that he thinks he's really thinking this through and, like, setting this up. But I, I would say that he did not consider technology in this Oh, my plan. God, not at all. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, you wouldn't even want to have your cell phone on you, let alone doing things on it. Yeah, you'd be like, I lost my cell phone. I don't have my keys. Yeah. Technology does not exist. We're going to be such good murderers after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to be caught. I'm the worst liar. Oh, I'm going to be caught first, for sure. They'd be like, did you do it? You'd be like, yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you for asking. Put me away. 
904 is when Richard sends the email to his supervisor saying he had to go back home due to the alarm. Okay, you work in IT. You are a computer network programmer. Are you not thinking that there's a timestamp on the email that you said you had to send, what, around like 8.30 if you left the house for work around 8.20? Yeah. Five minutes, email your supervisor. I mean, like... I Just like attention to detail. In what know? world does this timeline yeah. work? So at 9 a.m., no, I'm sorry, 9.18 a.m., Richard searches the YMCA group class schedule and downloads the timing of this group class schedule. Pause, Colby. I can hear whatever you're doing, like writing with a Sharpie. Oh. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm doing. Holy <laughs> shit, that's terrifying. <laughs> I'm trying to like quiet. Is it a black a Sharpie? Oh, no, okay. That's adorable. It's that is pink. adorable. <laughs> it's pink. It's the only thing that I have. I'm just oh. trying to think through like, what does this guy think he's doing? Because right. I like all. I know all of the times make sense when you lay it out, but not looking at it with like my sort of fever COVID brain. Like <laughs> it's just like a lot of numbers trying to keep it straight. It is a lot. Yep. So that's fair. But so based upon the alarm system, cell phone data and Fitbit data, Connie got back home around 923 a.m. At 927, her Fitbit showed casual walking. Like there was no indication that she was running from an attacker. Or was like or an elevated ex- heart rate yes, or something. No exercise yep. mode going on. So 934, the second floor motion sensor idles, meaning that 934 was the last time that there was any motion on the second floor. So again, if you had this intruder and you're yep. running downstairs. So as of 934, no one was upstairs. Facebook records show that Connie posted a video at 940 a.m., another video at 9.45 a.m., and she sent a Facebook message to a friend at 9.46 a.m. So very much alive. And She's, probably yep. not just like, hold on, intruder, I need to just send this message. Like, there's probably not someone there. Right. If she's or on like Facebook. not even like, hold on, Richard. Like, she's oh, just yeah. casually at home yeah. doing her thing. She's oh. just posting to Facebook. This is like breaking my heart. Because I've been thinking about this from Richard's perspective, which is, you know, you can kind of poke, not fun at him, but kind of judge him for his lack of planning. But just kind of thinking about the loss of life and just awful thinking about yeah. Connie. Well, that's like his, his um, Connie's family said um, after the trial, mm-hmm. which spoiler alert, Richard goes to trial. <laughs> um, they said, you know, they had a spokesperson for the family Mm -hmm. basically give a statement. And his statement was, you know, everybody's calling this the Fitbit murder. Like this isn't about a Fitbit. This is about the cold blooded murder of Connie debate, you know? Mm. So, well, and I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, her workout class got canceled. Right. And in in my head, like, I'm like, I would love that. Like you get out (laughs) guilt free, no workout today. Yay. Like I'm going to go home. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to like draw a bath or something. Like I'm just mm-hmm. messing around on Facebook. Like it should have been a good exactly. day for her. Right before the holidays. I was going to say, not only that, it's December 23rd. Oh. Like think about your December right. 23rd. Like I'm grocery shopping or making a list or baking yep. cookies. Your whole house is filled with Christmas lights and oh, it's just joyous so and presents. And Last like, minute wrapping. Yep, and yep. she's yes. got young kids where it's super fun. Right. For, yeah. For you're listening Christmas to Christmas carols yep. and just like devastating. Mm. So... She walked from the time that she got home until her last movement, which was at 10.05 a.m., she walked more than 1,200 feet, about a quarter of a mile. Um, And they had measured if she went straight from her car into the house and then ran to the basement, it would have been about 125 feet. Mm. So the timeline is not adding up and the police are suspecting Richard. Uh, 
what could his motive be? Mm. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, Richard was having an affair with two women, one of whom um, was about seven months pregnant at the time of the murder. (gasps) Stop. Oh, no. no. Yeah, so her name was Sarah Ganser. Um, Her and Richard had met in junior high school. And according to Sarah, they were on and off for years, and they began a physical relationship in May of 2015. And about a month later, Sarah had found out that she was pregnant. And she said that she didn't want to ruin the debate family, and she planned to raise the child on her own. Oh, this poor, poor woman. Right. But I mean, like, she did know he was married. I know. I I wouldn't say she's innocent. No, but but there there is quite a big gap between having an affair and then the person you're having an affair with murdering his wife, probably, and (laughs) you being pregnant with his kid. That's I that's awful. Not great. I'm just feeling really bad for everybody. Yeah. Not Richard, though, right? Not Richard. Okay. No, no. not Richard. I mean, Everybody I don't know. A cut him. with a box cutter, you know, a little might scab. <laughs> <laughs> you know, might scar. Not burn. His perfect yeah. thighs. No. <laughs> Scarred for life. So uh, Sarah said that their relationship actually continued after Connie's death, but they've been strictly co-parents since mid-2019. So they're no longer together. Now... I would hope not. <laughs> Well, they can't be now. Mm. So Richard admitted to this extramarital affair when he was talking to the police, and he said that the situation, quote, popped up like a freaking soap opera, is what he told police. So basically, they were asking, the police were asking Richard about Sarah and what was going on. So um, his stories about this, his mistress and this baby evolved over time. Um, When he first spoke to police, This was all during the same six hour interview. But the first story that he gave to police while he was talking to them was that Connie wanted another baby, but she couldn't have one due to health issues. So he said that Sarah was single. She was never married. She wanted to have a baby. So, you know, he did some untraditional things and got Sarah pregnant and that the plan was for all three of them to co-parent the baby. Just. Happy thruple, live happily ever after. <laughs> yes. I yeah, okay. I see you, Richard. Yeah, basically they were saying, you know, like to get a surrogate, it would take too much time. So like they know this Very woman. Expensive. Yeah. And he said I like, will take this cross to bear. <laughs> yeah, and he said it was like kinda Connie's idea and that like she was way Ugh. cooler about it than like he ever expected. Oh, that's so sickening. Like, that was like, that to was his, even say that about mm. Yeah, that was his initial story. Um, and then they were like, really, really? They like keep asking him about the situation. And then he's like, well, nah, it wasn't really, there was cheating on both sides. I mean, like both of us were cheating, which I didn't see anything that Connie yeah. was cheating. I think it was just him. Most likely. Um, and then he admits to the police that the pregnancy was unexpected, which is what Sarah said, that it was an unexpected pregnancy because if you're going to have an affair with a married man, yeah. like do not get pregnant with his right. baby. Like that's just not going to work out for you in the yeah. end. Rule number one, if you're suspected of murder, don't talk. Rule number two, if you're having an extramarital affair, don't get the person pregnant. Check. Those are grim rules. I like it. <laughs> oh, oh, we've got facts and rules yeah. now. Okay. Yeah. Grim rules. We'll collect grim them. Rule. <laughs> grim rule. So uh, police were digging into things further, and they also found that Richard had engaged in financial irregularities both before and after Connie's death. So approximately $100,000 went missing from the couple's bank accounts between December 2014 and 2015, most of it beginning in June 2015 when Richard found out that his mistress was pregnant. 
my face right now is in shock because I thought you were going to say like, oh, because I was thinking irregularities. Okay, maybe he just shopped at a different store or at a different time, not a hundred grand, a hundred thousand dollars. My face is doing the same thing. I bet yours is like, I'm like, oh, financial irregularities, a hundred thousand dollars later. Yeah. And now there wasn't a lot of discussion about this, but I believe that they were quite wealthy. I mean, well, he sure, but still. I'm looking at the house. Yeah. They, they seem like they were probably well off. Yeah. The house is really nice. It's beautiful. Oh, really yeah. Nice. I don't know who owns it now, but just know someone was murdered in the basement of it. So I, I bet they got a pretty good price on it have to disclose that you do but they probably got you a do. better price they probably yeah. got a better price on it than they Ooh. would have someone had not been murdered in the basement right uh yeah. i don't think so i think so it's like power lines in your backyard or something <laughs> so the parties had discussed divorce at some point because um in november of 2014 Connie had sent an email to richard that included a link to an article about mistakes to avoid when divorcing with children um oh. Connie had an entry on her phone from November 2014 titled Why I Want a Divorce. Um, And now the list was very uh, extensive. But she said things like he acts like a kid constantly. There's no trust. He's never happy with anything I do. Nothing I do is ever good enough. And then um, they also found an email uh, from the summer of 2015 that she sent to herself basically discussing the details of how they could handle the divorce financially and how they could split custody. So I just picture, yeah, I just picture her like trying to work up the courage, like trying Mm -hmm. to plan it all out to present this like cohesive thing. Like neither of us are happy. Like, let's just get this done. And again, like the kids must be a huge consideration. But yeah. um, So divorce definitely had been discussed before. So pregnant mistress threat of divorce at home pressures were mounting Mm -hmm. um at some point sarah the mistress had told a friend that you know richard was just like stressed out of his mind stressed he's afraid that he would lose his friends that his family would be disappointed that people would hate him that his family will never be the same why not go for murder instead why not yeah i'm already gonna hate me Mm -hmm. it's like how to win friends and influence people well you know he thought this through extensively and planned out all the important details to not get caught so true good point so and sarah was frustrated and felt like she was being lied to because richard just kept telling her he's gonna file divorce oh papers are ready like i'm ready to do this like she's gonna be served next week she's gonna be served next week like um and that him and connie were just working out the details of the divorce and of course none of that ever happened so um in june 2015 richard met with a local attorney to discuss divorce but never actually retained him or filed any paperwork or anything like that um in july and september of 2015 this is i i just i don't know how you explain this away and i don't think he tried to but in july and september of 2015 richard conducted internet searches on his home computer he looked for and these are quotes these are quoted deadly over-the-counter pill combinations are you kidding me Fast, untraceable, homemade poison. Are you kidding me? Come on, Richard. Ricin recipe. How much ethylene glycol is lethal? How to use antifreeze as poison. Oh, my God. Tasteless poison easily available. So he (laughs) definitely has no concept of technology. No, and you're in IT. Like, do you not understand that, like, 
everything you put into the computer is saved and especially oh my God. not not for like the average person like i can't go pull your search history but if i'm suspected of murder tomorrow like they're gonna subpoena Absolutely. everything i've done ever and, and we always joke about that with our research for these cases we're like we're on some list now oh, we're but f- we're totally flagged yeah, by the gosh, fbi I'm yeah. like, how long to freeze a body <laughs> <laughs> How many pieces does a body go into after being in a wood chipper? <laughs> I yeah, I'm on, I'm on the FBI's watch list for sure. My life's super boring, though. So enjoy. Enjoy, fellas and ladies. <laughs> so in addition to these searches in July and September of 2015, the state and the police suspect that Richard staged a car break in to justify purchasing a gun for safety. So Connie was very, Connie was very against weapons, didn't want them in the house. So police were called to the debate home on October 9th, 2015 in response to a criminal mischief complaint. So the officer met with Connie and Richard, who explained that someone had damaged the windshield of Richard's Nissan. So the officer windshield also. Yes. Like that's not how people break into a car no and they're like they're either stealing parts on the inside or they're like rifling through the papers right, and, and stuff. it's like through the door not the windshield but again he's really thoughtful oh it gets better so the officer looks into the car and there's glass on the inside dashboard the officer feels the outside of the window and it's cracked from the inside buddy <sighs> So, like, we're really not dealing with you know, a criminal mastermind. Like, this is just, this is just like a regular, you know, husband from suburbia, like, thinking that he's becoming a criminal mastermind. But he is not. No. Like, this is not good. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yes. Like, this That's is. That's what I'm feeling over here. I'm disappointed. He has not watched enough investigation discovery. Like, he is not up on his, like, trivia murder porn or whatever. He needs to get with it. If you're going to try to pull something like this <laughs> off, like. Marina's face in my face when you said that. That was not what we were expecting you to say. What is <laughs> trivia murder porn? <laughs> I don't I, I think it's just like a combination of words my brain put together I don't <laughs> like, know is that a show I don't know is that like <laughs> snuff films like what I don't know it it feels like I don't know South Park like had an episode about like I don't how people like love true crime and they made a fake show called Southern Fried Homicide and it just oh, felt like it fit okay. I don't know is I that am- a real thing though like informative murder porn that's what south park called it and i think like, oh it's trivia. Okay. okay i just had to like okay. make you it did mean thought. the word porn okay. okay i just i definitely did that was not the word that was out of place for me yeah. just so you know just so you know i had taken a sip of wine and almost spit it back out when you said that because it's not i can't say i've ever seen that that show no, I, I uh that I'm, internet I'm search is safe in, yeah I'm disappointed in Richard over here. I yes. really am. I get, we could leave it at Moral that. Moral of the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, if we're going, if we're going like, wife. yeah, if we're going like totality of the circumstances, like it's just not looking good, buddy. So following the vandalism, Richard talked to his neighbor about it and they discussed purchasing a gun for safety. Um, and that same neighbor recalled talking with Richard and he had mentioned buying a gun in the summer of 2015 he said that they were having a disagreement with a contractor working on their house and said that it wasn't going well. And he said that Connie wanted to get a gun for protection, but he was nervous about having a gun with small children in the mm-hmm. house. And apparently he had already had a gun at that point, but didn't mention it to the neighbor because he had two guns. Oh, at the time of the crime, he had two guns. Interesting. So Richard bought the Ruger used to kill Connie in October, 2015. <sighs> Because of this car vandalism, mm-hmm. where the right. windshield was cracked 
from the inside. Ridiculous. So needless to say, the police took all this information and felt that Richard was responsible for his wife's death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel the same. Yeah. He was arrested on April 14th, 2017. So they really took their time. Oh. You think about if you have to subpoena the Fitbit records and the cell phone okay. records and the computer sure. records. I mean, they had to subpoena all this and put it all together. Yeah. He was charged with murder, tampering with evidence and making a false statement to authorities. And the arrest warrant was 50 pages long. Oh. Whoa. I yes, I read through it. It had statements. It had all of his statements laid out in like sort of the ways that he was like making minor changes to his statements along the way. It had statements from the mistress. It had mm. Connie's family members like so say, you know, 50 pages. But, you know, you had five people that were present on Christmas mm-hmm. Eve for Richard telling the story. They each give a statement because some of the details are just a little bit different yep. between people experiencing them. I also um, just have to give a shout out to you that you managed to read 50 pages of an arrest warrant or whatever it's called in the quick change of you doing this week instead of Colby. So shout out to you for. Thank you. I digested that. it as quickly as possible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then they had all the computer info. I mean, like they had like they were like, OK, um, they broke down the timeline for the alarm system. They went through the text messages between Richard and his wife. They went through the text messages between Richard and his mistress. They went through credit card charges. Wow. They went through like, and at the end of the last couple pages of the arrest warrant are basically like all of the timelines, like minute by minute. And they'd be like, okay, nine Oh five. This is about when Richard said that Connie would be dead. So not sure when he thinks all the stuff that occurred after happened, like him searching the internet, him reading Facebook posts, Connie posting to Facebook. Like I have a question. Do you remember last, I think it was last episode. We talked about circumstantial versus, uh, whatever direct, direct evidence. Would all of that be considered circumstantial? And I asked that because like, technically could Richard have posted the video on Facebook you know what I yes. mean like as what was that what would that be considered right no so it's still circumstantial because the evidence as presented would be that a video was posted right. to Connie's Facebook at 945 from Connie's cell phone at the Ellington IP address so that is circumstantial right. evidence that she was the one Got posting it. and she is still alive. It's not like a neighbor was walking by the window and they saw Connie on her phone at 945. That would be direct evidence that See, Connie was. I learned. I listened. I learned. I love it. I'm still alive. I love it. Yes. Thank you for educating me. You're Proud so, of you. You're so welcome. <laughs> so Richard was arrested. Um, he had a bond of a million dollars that he posted um, and was out free the entire time pending his trial um so a jury was actually picked for the case in early 2020 but then the state court shut down due to corona um and that jury was dismissed by the judge in august because they'd been in panel too long and some jurors had moved away oh geez so beginning in late february 2022 a new jury was selected so the trial lasted five weeks the state's theory of the case was that he staged his wife's death as a home invasion to avoid the fallout of a divorce because he'd gotten his mistress pregnant. I mean, that's not like pretty a pretty accurate. That's a pretty yeah. good theory. It's a pretty good theory. Um, prosecutor laid out the timeline of events on the date of the murder through a series of witnesses, um, introduced the tech data. 
Uh, They also presented evidence that Richard's wounds were consistent with self-inflicted wounds. I was hoping they would prove that because it seems like because they can do all kinds of interesting things with like where the angle of the blade is and all that stuff. So I was hoping they'd prove that. I don't think it was that technical, but the ER doctor did testify that all the wounds were superficial and they were all located on the front of the body. And basically like he could have inflicted all of them. Makes sense. Though I bet you if there were wounds on the back of his body, they would have been like, based on the angle that your arm was, like in an upward trajectory, that would be consistent. Um, But yeah, no, he didn't even go that far. They were all in the front and they were like... And the very fact that they were superficial, like, that's what I would expect someone to do falsely versus like you're not going to actually fully injure yourself it's got to be really hard to do it like i mean i have i've had to do like finger pricks for like testing my blood sugar and even i'm like okay but like i'm in charge of the button and it's hard to know you're going to inflict pain on yourself so i can't imagine like cutting myself with a box cutter but like if you are going to murder your wife and want to like really sell the story like you're gonna have to do a good job like you're gonna yeah, I my face is because he didn't do a good job with anything else no. around this. But like so. you can't have like a few cuts on your legs and be like, I was completely incapacitated. Like right. you had uh, a few under cuts on this your legs. Folding chair. And I'm pretty yeah. sure with adrenaline you wouldn't even feel those. Right. In like a oh. if the yeah. scenario was really going on, like small wounds, like like I'm pretty sure people get their arm cut off and they're like, I just kept going and fighting right. with the one good arm I had left because I couldn't like, feel it. Like Dr. Pettit, actually. Yes. Ex- yeah, he had a lot more than a cut on the top of his leg. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, that like the adrenaline would just force you. So, again, like he just kept being like, I was just so I was just in shock. Like, I didn't know what to do. I just like was incapacitated under this nine pound folding chair. <laughs> so um, the state also presented forensic evidence. Um, it was established that Richard's DNA was on the Ruger and Connie's DNA was found on the barrel of the gun. Now, Richard's DNA being on any of these things doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. they all belong to him. Right. Like, yep. You're going to still interested in that fingerprint you mentioned. They could not. It wasn't enough to oh. to like tag anybody. Just enough it. to say that the glove story was inconsistent. Yeah, just but not enough, enough to, to say there was a fingerprint. Because that would be interesting. Like obviously his fingerprints are probably all over it, but not bloody fingerprints. So right. That's right. Too bad. So it wasn't. Not ID that to it was anybody. really needed. I, no. I don't think they needed any Looking more evidence. Looking at the, all of the yeah. evidence together. <laughs> Um, Richard had gunshot residue on his shirt. Uh, according to the arrest warrant, he didn't have any on his hands. Um, but they did point out that he was swabbed in the hospital. I think after hospital staff had already been taking care of him and he had an IV on one of his hands too. So they were saying that like they could have washed, he could have washed his hands. They could have washed his hands. I mean, they're rubbing them with alcohol. Um, Richard actually testified, which is a bold choice. It's always a bold choice. And I feel like it's like the guilty ones that feel like they need to be like, no, I need to get up and explain my story because people are going to believe me. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They didn't believe him. (laughs) But (laughs) so most of Richard's story was consistent with what he had previously told police. Um, A small change was that he initially told the police that he heard the sound right when he got home. Um, But during trial, he said that he was already already going to be late for work. So he pulled out his laptop and decided to veg out and listen to an ESPN radio show. So that was probably his attempt to try to shift the timeline just Uh, a little bit, but still not enough with the rest of the. I mean, like between all these tech devices, like it's just not it's not doable. The timeline is not doable. So he repeated his story about the intruder. He said he heard the bang and saw Connie fall to the ground. And he said that he could tell she was dead by the way that she fell. So that's why he never checked on her and never asked police to check on her and never, you know, asked how she was or anything like that. Which I, 
again, I know that people will, I have no idea how I would react in such a situation. However, you would, even if you thought she was dead, you wouldn't go, I don't know, see her. I don't know. I would be weeping over the dead body if that was like a real life scenario. Like I would be like, can I go see, can I go see my husband now? Like, can I go see like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's, it's real. I don't like it. I don't like it. Again, people, everybody mourns differently. Like maybe some people don't want to see him at all, but like he didn't ask nothing. He's just yeah. like, she's dead in the basement. I like this. The prosecutor brought up the fact that Richard looked up the YMCA spin class schedule at 918, which is around the time that debate had said the intruder was going after his wife based on his timeline of events. Hold Actually, on, is she going to miss her spin class? So the the, <laughs> yeah. pros, the prosecutor, uh, so Richard said, you know, Connie had asked me to look up the schedule while they were getting ready that morning, which even that wouldn't make sense because she left for the spin class at like 845. So why are you looking up the spin class? She asked you to look up that she's already at. And he just fundamentally right. doesn't understand the concept of timestamps because no. it, it <laughs> just doesn't. That's just not how it works No. To me, what I think he's doing is I think he's confirming the class was canceled on this day. Uh, and that would be the only reason I yeah. could see why you would be looking up at the schedule at that time. If it's supposed to be a 9 a.m. class, he's waiting for her to come home because he's mm-hmm. got this horrific surprise. Horrific, horrific <laughs> surprise. Wow. Um, <laughs> planned for her. And he's like, oh, shoot. Like, maybe the class was on today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can definitely see why there are nefarious reasons why he would look it up, but not any legitimate ones that help his story. If only he was looking up the class schedule instead of long lasting tattoo ideas that might have worked out in his favor. How does that factor? He's like plotting the murder of his wife while also looking. I'm like, are you looking at memorial tattoos? Like that's that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, that just seems very like not in the character that I picture of him. But I love so I'm pretty sure that this prosecutor was like very snarky. And I asked someone who knows him and they were like, yeah, that's sort of just how he is. The prosecutor was like, "Okay, so when she was running down the basement from this intruder, did she turn around and yell up? Can you look up if there's a spin class? (laughs) That's awesome. I'm getting my cardio in right now. (laughs) I don't need it. (laughs) I would love to have witnessed that because especially obviously we we don't believe he is innocent with this. Right. So I just like want him held against the wall for this. Right. And I think he was like snarky enough. I read like a few things where like defense kept objecting and the judge was like one more time and I'm called like one more time and it's an issue one more time. Let's like, say, so he was really like toeing the line with this. But I mean, if you've spent years, I mean, he, he spent collectively now six years on this case preparing, mm-hmm. you know, to try wow. Richard debate. So, you know, and you with all this evidence believe in your heart of hearts that he's guilty. So it's like, you know, you really want to point like how absurd his story exactly, is. Exactly, which right. is easy to do. Right. So the prosecutor also asked him about gunshots. So Richard had said that he heard one or two gunshots, but there were actually three fired. So in questioning him, the prosecutor suggested that the third shot occurred when Connie was struggling over the gun with him. And that's how her DNA ended up on the gun's mm. barrel. Um, and then he said he shot her in the back of the head and followed that up with a shot to the stomach. I was curious about that. I didn't want to ask earlier because I wasn't sure if it would come out. But back of the head, but then stomach makes me think the front of the body. So she had turned and moved in the middle of that time. And what was the order of the shots? I mean, it doesn't, again, doesn't really matter for this particular thing. But based on this questioning that I pulled from an article, it said it, he was suggesting that she was shot in the back of the head and then in the stomach. So I don't. Jeez. 
I don't know if maybe yeah. she was turning. I, yeah. Maybe she's turning to run away and he shoots her. And then when she falls yep. backward yep. and, and she's lying face up, Ugh. he shoots her in the stomach to finish her off. Awful. Though, like, do you really need to do that if you've shot right. someone in the head? Ugh. People do survive I gunshot know. wounds to the head, yeah. which is like mind boggling. But they like get shot in a certain way where it like goes yep. through their jaw and doesn't touch their brain and like comes out and mm-hmm. it's crazy. But um. So the prosecutor also questioned how the cops found him. And and this is like all I could think about when I was reading this arrest warrant. So he's got this nine pound folding chair laying on top of him. And the prosecutor was like, you could have just stood up. Like you could have just stood up and used anything in the kitchen to cut the zip ties. Like the prosecutor was like, you wanted to be found by the police like this. Like you wanted to make sure that they saw you like this so that you could sell your story. And Richard was just like, no, I was like disoriented and I was suffering from my injuries. You know, he said he was, he, you know, he was laying under the chair with his ears ringing from the close range, you know, gunshot wound, which like if you're entering the scene and you don't know what happened to him, it's like, okay, maybe. But, but then when you find out he has like one stitch lacerations right. on his thighs, like you are not incapacitated, like just stand just, up again, like yeah. not to keep bringing up Dr. Pettit, but just like thinking about his unbelievable loss of like what 80% of his blood in his right. body. And he still managed to move and fight what he could and all that. Like, and this guy has a cut from a, maybe from a box. Cutter. And not are you only that, me? like you dragged you, you say you drag yourself up the stairs. You're able to get your cell phone and the key fob off of the counter. And then what you just collapse under the weight of this chair and the blood loss. I mean, like, it's just, it's just not believable. Cause again, the adrenaline, right? Like, sure. Not everybody is going to react the same way, but everybody has an amygdala with a fight or flight response. Like you're going to get adrenaline in your body when something like this Mm -hmm. happens. What's also bothering me is the chair is a weapon in itself, right? Like, so like you were just like so strung out, you couldn't fight back against this person with the weapon that was literally attached to your body. That being said, it was attached to his ankle and his wrist. And that would have been pretty funny to watch. (laughs) Like swinging it back and forth, like a butterfly or something. No, that's kind of what I'm imagining. Yeah. 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 Like, well, I mean, they pointed out too, like he just qu- sort of kept saying, I was in shock. I, I, I was, you know, incapa- I was in shock. Like, but I wish I could have to move up the, st- like go up the stairs. It's not like I would have thought it was more believable if he had stayed in the basement and like couldn't even get upstairs to go call someone and just was out of it. But like you had, the, you could get up the stairs and make a call I mean, and set the alarm off. There's even more like he couldn't explain how the chair would have gotten to the spot in the basement because like the chair was where he was saying it was like they would have had to like run through there when Connie was like running from him towards the gun and he couldn't say how the chair got there and then they were like okay how would this intruder who's got you by two pressure points on your shoulder neck wherever it is like what are you doing while he's like getting the chair and getting the zip ties in your tool bag like and setting this all up and like what are you like it couldn't even the story couldn't even like forget the timeline the story is hard to swallow exactly like just not he's just he's just waiting patiently like a good boy so he doesn't get killed you know Mm mm-hmm and actually, Laura, Laura set me up for this one um, quite well. So Laura keeps referencing our episode one where we did the Cheshire home invasion with mm-hmm. Dr. Pettit. So the prosecutor, uh, this was a bold choice on his cho- on his part, actually asked Richard if he was trying to create, and I quote, a 
create a little mini Cheshire scene in no his way. home by Ooh. setting fire to the stack of papers in the basement where his wife was shot. Um, and so obviously he was referring to the Cheshire right. home invasion. Um, and apparently there were like gasps in the courtroom. Like to me, I, I just think that's too far. I feel like you're just going for the gasps exactly. in the courtroom at that point. I don't understand why you'd light a box of papers on fire. That one, that doesn't make sense whatsoever to me. And was, did they find anything in the papers? There was not like, none of that was in the arrest warrant other than like, and nothing was missing that they needed that it was like, Oh, he happened to burn that too. So what is, what I don't, I don't understand that. At Maybe all. like a receipt for the gun or right. something. No, right. Cause no. we already knew when he bought it. No, out. no. So I think it was just sort of like a divert, like it was just a, a oh, red yeah. herring. Yeah. And yeah. so, Remember, I said that Richard was at Connie's family's house on Christmas Eve and he told the family he uh, asked his dad for his passport. He had because the police Mm -hmm. had his wallet. So the prosecutor was like, "Um, how did you know that the police had your wallet? Because the last time you saw Uh it, the intruder had it right because you handed it over to him. Uh, Was it because you knew the police would find it, find it because you just threw it in the middle of your yard? Brilliant. Yeah. And he was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no that's not what happened no, no. they're just, just good at their jobs and fine yeah. things i just i just <laughs> knew it i just knew they had it um and richard testified that him and connie had discussed divorce and that she knew about the mistress's baby he said they talked about how they would tell their families about the baby if they didn't get a divorce but they tried to continue like normal and things started getting better between them so things were just going well at the time that she was murdered so just overall his testimony, he stuck to his story about the intruder and maintained his innocence throughout the questioning. So as we discussed, the state relied heavily on the technology to lay out the timeline, proving that Richard had to be lying. So the defense really pushed the argument that the technology that the state was relying on is just not reliable enough to support a murder conviction. And now people are hearing this being called the Fitbit murder. Mm -hmm. If all you heard was that, her Fitbit picked up movement after the time that he said she would have been dead. I would question whether that technology was reliable enough as well. We're not talking, we're talking about alarm systems, cell phones, laptops, IP IP addresses. I mean, like you are talking about an extensive amount of technology that are pinning both of these people in places at certain times. Like it's not just her Fitbit. Right. And it's all combined. So it's not like you said, any one of those honestly would probably be good in and of themselves but it's all of them right, together taking together exactly they're able to lay out this minute by minute timeline exactly. um i mean and defense counsel asked the jury you know whether you've ever had a smartphone that you know causes you to miss a text or if the gps tells them they're on a street away from where they actually are and we have all had that happen yep, like where yep. you know yeah. your gps thinks you're in the middle of a river and you're like i'm not in a river <laughs> like can you just find my location and tell like me where the to turn style <laughs> yeah yeah turn <laughs> directly into the lake um so and then they also questioned the reliability of these devices back in 2015 because i mean this trial just happened but you know True. six years ago technology it's not a bad point because technology True. advances rapidly i mean like 2015 fitbits i mean as it is this was a fitbit she had like clipped to her waistband this wasn't even like that's like the old school fitbit that's not even like the wearable on your wrist fitbit so it's true not a bad point but the state did have an expert testify that it was highly unlikely that the fitbit data would be off by an hour and then again connie was posting on facebook richard was surfing the internet like you have all these other things that are throwing off his timeline as well um 
the defense also tried to argue that Richard couldn't have set up the scene that he did in six minutes because, mm -hmm. you know, the Fitbit showed that Connie stopped moving at 10.05, so they were saying she had to be killed then. But then he pressed the panic alarm at 10.11. So they were like, you know, he couldn't have set it up in six minutes, which, again, that's a fair point because he's got to burn the zip tie off. He's got to drop all the blood and everything. But the cops didn't get there until 10.30. Mm -hmm. So he had more than six minutes. And he didn't call... 911 until 10 19 right so again that's more that's 14 minutes and like how quickly do the alarm companies like there's a relay time yep. um and again you also don't know like you don't know if like connie was in the living room and he was in the basement like setting up all this blood you know right. and then he like called her down yeah. like, you just don't know how it so you know it's an interesting argument but i just i don't think it's enough to overcome the other evidence exactly. that's going on um, and the defense also focused on the fact that the DNA of an unidentified man was found in six different places, including the upstairs closet door, the family safe, and the handle of the gun used to kill Connie. That is interesting. Interesting. But I wonder what, how is unidentified I defined? <laughs> how is unidentified identified? That was what my brain wanted to say. <laughs> I saw you trying to not to say <laughs> it. I saw the smoke it, coming out of my ears. Yeah. <laughs> and is it like, was it enough to rule out that it was Richard's or it wasn't right. enough to understand like whose DNA it could have been? Oh, I think, yeah. No, Richard's DNA was on everything. Right. But True. the way that the state countered this argument is that finding mixtures of DNA on objects is very common because DNA can persist for years. Oh years so they had a forensic expert agree with them that it was possible that the dna could have remained on the gun for example uh from before debate purchased it in october 2015 wow. and now they did actually get a dna sample from the sales associate who sold the ruger but he was excluded they really like they I'm really impressed. investigated yeah. this yeah. case um but so he was excluded but it could go all the way back to the manufacturer like unless someone's wiping it off right like it just remains there wow and then like the closet like i i don't know like my the contractors yeah. my contractor's dna could be on my closet door handle like i don't know if i've lysoled it since i've okay, had my okay. new doors installed like you just yeah. don't so it could be anybody's dna a cleaner so it wasn't it wasn't the same unidentified DNA profile that was in six places. It was that there was, was unidentified. Oh, I believe so. I don't. Yeah, I didn't see that connection. So yeah. like, yeah, the door could have been, you know, Connie's father and, right. you know, the, the yep. gun could have been someone else. I think it was just oh, yes, that's an, a really good an unidentified male. That would have been much more powerful it was just, if it was the same person right. to that point. Right. And that's I, a good point. I do not think yeah. it was. I did not read anything about that. Yeah. I feel like they would have called it out if it was. I feel like that would have been a very interesting, strong yeah. point for the defense on right. those, for the same unidentified DNA to be in all exactly. those places. But I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it was the same, the same profile. Um, but when it was all said and done, the trial was five weeks with 600 exhibits and 130 witnesses. Wow. So, I mean, that's a lot to jam in five weeks. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Like, that's impressive. So case went to the jury second day of deliberations less than 24 hours after the closing arguments the jury found richard debate guilty on all charges mm -hmm. so the judge increased his bond to five million dollars following the verdict and he was led away in handcuffs uh and just a reminder he spent the last six years as a free man mm. so uh richard intends to appeal you know, his attorney said that they're disappointed in the outcome, oh, but, course. you know, the fight's not over and Richard's ready for the fight. Um, he's scheduled to return to court 
on September 16th following a pre-sentence investigation. So basically, they just want to know all the circumstances to consider when they're sentencing someone. So probation is working on Richard's PSI now for his return to court in September, and he faces 25 years to life. And they said that Mm -hmm. if he bonds out in the meantime, he'll be subject to GPS monitoring. But I don't. Which he will not understand. He's not going to respect that. Yeah. (laughs) It means nothing to him. It does not. He'll be like, I was not there. They're like, that's so weird. We have this GPS data, (laughs) which pinpoints your time and location. So um, there you have it. Wow. This is a this is a friendly um, reminder. Everyone go charge your Fitbits. Because if you're like me, you're always getting the low battery alert and it just might help catch a killer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wow. So yeah. that's it. If you guys, if you're enjoying listening to Grimm, please rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss any episodes. We're now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. Follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast for information on future episodes and case photos. If you want to send us a case suggestion or just say hi, you can email us at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com and listen, learn, and stay alive until next time, gremlins.